Welcome. It's time for the Word of God, and I'm so excited. We're going to continue our series of messages on the Sovereign Savior and Sacred Scripture. I'm going to read a little more than I normally read today because I'm trying to get all of us in more of a habit of reading. So we're going to read together today. And today the word of God is coming from the gospel of Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four. And I'm going to begin reading with the 14th verse. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time in his word today. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are strength and our redeemer. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning with the 14th verse. This is the New King James Version. Listen to what God's word says. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover, recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And today I want to deal with the Messiah's model for meaningful ministry. Uh, the Apostle Peter talks about uh, we're all, all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, we're all a part of a royal priesthood. And then the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the believers at Ephesus in chapter four, uh, he says that we're united for the work of the ministry. There's a priesthood of all of us. And then our faith in Jesus Christ and in the body of Christ and in the spirit, we're united for the work of ministry. Well, what does meaningful ministry look like for us? Well, I believe that our master and Messiah is the greatest model for meaningful ministry. In Luke chapter four, Luke actually uh, is giving us some insight into the embryonic stage of Jesus' earthly ministry, the beginning of his ministry, the start of Jesus' ministry. And in Luke chapter three, so we get the context, in Luke chapter three, Jesus is baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, in the Jordan River. And when Jesus is baptized, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and as a dove and sits on Jesus. And then God speaks from heaven with an audible voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And after the baptism of Jesus and the spirit setting on him, then Jesus fasts and prays for 40 days. The spirit leads him and he spends 40 days fasting and praying. The only way to have meaningful ministry is to make sure we fast and pray. Jesus says some things can only be done uh, through fasting and praying. And when Jesus 
finished fasting and praying, and then the enemy comes and tempts him. Now here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. And he's got to figure out what kind of Messiah am I going to be? What kind of ministry will I have as the Messiah? He's fasting and praying about that. Then here comes the enemy showing up and tempting him. Because that's what the enemy does, try to tempt us and lie to us to distract us from the most important things in ministry. He says, well, if you're the son of God, then turn stone into bread. And Jesus, in essence, says, no, I'm, I'm not going to be some bread Messiah. My ministry is going to be more than just bread because men and women can't live by bread alone, but they're going to need the word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the enemy tempts him by showing him all the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give you all the popularity and all the notoriety. You can be a celebrity, uh, have a celebrity ministry. And Jesus says, no, you don't you don't tempt the Lord like that. I'm not bowing to you like that because I'm not trying to have a ministry as a celebrity, even though folk love following celebrities. That's not the kind of ministry I'm going to have. Then he takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple and tells Jesus to jump. The angels will catch you and focus, see how sensational you are. And then you can have that kind of, you can have a, sense, a ministry of sensationalism. You can just jump and leap and folk will follow you. And Jesus says, no, you don't tempt the Lord your God. And I'm not going to have some kind of circus ministry because people get tired of seeing monkeys jumping and leaping uh, through hoops. So Jesus, what kind of ministry then are you going to have? What kind of Messiah are you going to be? And Luke says at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's preaching in these synagogues and teaching. And now folk are hearing all about him. And in our text, it says he goes back to Nazareth, that place that Jesus spent part of his childhood. And now everybody in his hometown, they've heard about his preaching and teaching in all the synagogues. And they want to know as, this, as he comes back and his name is being spread abroad, uh, how is he going to act? What is he going to do? And Luke says that Jesus, as his custom was, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day that Jesus, as his custom was, and custom is a whole lot deeper than tradition. Jesus didn't just go to the synagogue, just to the house of God on Christmas and Mother's Day and Easter. No, he went with regularity. He went with some persistency. He went uh, with consistency that, uh, that Jesus uh, going to the house of God was a part of who he was. He set aside a place, the synagogue, the house of God, and a period of time, the Sabbath day. And he went into the house of God. And then it says that they brought Jesus the book. It's not a book like ours with a binder and, and, and a cover. Uh, no, it was a, a scroll, a roll. And, and Jesus opened the book. He, he unrolled the scroll and he, and he opened it to Isaiah chapter 61 as found in Old Testament scripture. And Jesus began to read from that scripture. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus has been baptized. And Jesus now was led by the Spirit. And he even said, now, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then Jesus opens the book as he's in the house of God. He's in, he's in the house of God. He's led by the Spirit of God. And now he's reading from the scripture, the book, the word of God. 
There are some of us that try to act like we're so spiritual. I'm so spiritual. I got God and Jesus, so I don't need to be baptized by anybody. Jesus was baptized. I, I know you don't think you're as spiritual as Jesus is. And then folks say, well, I'm so spiritual. I don't need to go to church because you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And so I'm not really worrying about any of that. Wait a minute now. Jesus, he went to church. He went to the house of God. And folks say, well, I'm so spiritual. You know, I don't read the Bible or anything, but I, I, I take hikes and I go to the forest and through the woods and I climb mountains and I go to waterfalls. And that's where I hear God speak. Jesus read scripture. Y'all, Jesus, if anybody could have used spirituality as an excuse to not get baptized and not go to church and not read the scripture, if anybody could have, it was Jesus. But Jesus, even as the son of God, the, the word made flesh uh, the, with the truth in him. He is the truth, but he still got baptized. Matter of fact, Jesus goes to the house of God. He's led by the spirit of God and he's got the word of God. And I believe that so many of us are off track because of our disconnect from the house of God, the word of God, and, and this disconnect from the spirit of God. And, and that's why we're not operating in ministry all of us are part of ministry as christians the way we ought to it was in uh gary indiana in may 2017 a train ended up blocking this road for just about an hour they had to close a couple of the roads in gary and they had to close some businesses because not only was the train blocking the road but some of the train cars had gotten disconnected from the coupling some of the train cars uh, were were disconnected and some had even flipped over and they were laying on their side and they were off track. And it didn't mean that they were not train cars. It meant that these train cars were not connected to the locomotive, to the engine. That's why they weren't moving. That's why they were blocking people from getting to their destination. That's why they were disconnected from their source of power. And y'all, Jesus is our locomotive. He's our engine. The Holy Spirit, he's our fuel. And the word of God is the manual on how all that's supposed to work. We're the train cars. And y'all, I'm not saying as a Christian, you're not a train. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You're giving your life to Jesus Christ by faith. But this disconnect from the source of power, this disconnect from the fuel, this no knowledge of the manual no wonder we're not connected. No wonder we're off track. No wonder we're not really moving in ministry and united for ministry like we should. So Jesus shows us we need the house of God. We need the word of God and we need the spirit of God if we're going to have some meaningful ministry. And what does meaningful ministry look like? Well, what I think Jesus is the greatest model for what that is. He says, I'm not going to be a bread Messiah. I'm not going to be a, 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 have a ministry just leaping and jumping and sensationalism or just having notoriety and popularity. But what kind of ministry, Jesus, are you going to have? He took the book, read from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, meaningful ministry always includes proclamation. Meaningful ministry always includes the preaching of the good news, the euangelion, the gospel. And if you and I are not careful, we'll try to have ministry 
with no proclamation, with no preaching. No, you got to put some preaching in there. It's a trick of the enemy to, to make us uh, divorce ourselves from preaching and still think ministry is significant. No, Jesus models for us. You got to have some proclamation of good news, of preaching good news. Man, if we're not careful, man, we'll rehearse all the bad news we hear on mainstream media and all the bad news we hear in social media and all the bad news we hear about racism and sexism and ageism. And, and we'll, we'll rehearse all the bad news in, in police brutality and, and criminal injustice. And we'll, we'll do all of that and then miss out on significant ministry because we lead the preaching of good news. Folk need to hear the good news preached in the face of all of this bad news. And, and I, I know, I know we're living in a time of church bashing and preacher bashing, but when you read the scripture, we learn the value of preaching the good news. When God got ready to bring freedom and deliverance to the children of Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt, God did that by sending a preacher, a preacher by the name of Moses. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. When God got ready to turn the heart of people back to him in the face of corrupt government with, with, with Ahab, the head of state, and then the, the first lady, uh, Jezebel. He sent a preacher to make that happen by the name of Elijah that got the fire of God to fall down from heaven. Man, when God got ready to establish a head of state, uh, have a throne that would last forever. That David, a, a, a king after God's own heart, he did that with a preacher. He sent Samuel down to anoint David to be the, the next head of state for Israel. When God got ready to introduce Jesus, his son, to the world. He sent a preacher by the name of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. When God got ready to bring salvation to the world, he did it through preaching. How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that carry the gospel, the good news, and, and God only has one begotten son. And that one son that God has is a preacher. Man, it's very important. If we're going to have meaningful ministry, we got to keep on preaching. We, yes, we got to be the place where Jesus is exalted, but we also got to be the place where the word is explained. And what better way to explain God's word than to preach it? We need to preach good news, the love of God. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. The good news, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The good news, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. The good news, no weapon that is formed against you shall be able to prosper. The good news that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Your old meaningful ministry has to have some preaching to it. And meaningful ministry is also about liberation. It includes liberation. To set prisoners free. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach. And to set prisoners free. It's liberation. It's freedom. And I know that there are so many that look at this Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19, and they try to make it like a a metaphor, allegory, illustrations. They try to make it so spiritual. And uh, so they say, well, it's, it's not really a prison. It's, it's somebody's soul 
that is in prison. It's somebody's soul that is bound. And Jesus came. He's anointed to set them free. Man, you got to be careful with that. My, my son, my oldest son, Jeffrey Allen uh, Johnson II, he looked at this passage and helped us to understand you cannot separate the spiritual from the social. You can't get so spiritual that you don't have a social expression to that. As a matter of fact, I believe that all of life is spiritual. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And where the earth is the Lord's and everything is spiritual. And, and as being people who are spiritual, there needs to be a social expression of that. My son didn't just say that. The apostle James said it, faith without works is dead. That if you got faith, it ought to show up in your works. If you have, you so spiritual and you see somebody that's hungry, then feed them. You so spiritual, you see somebody that doesn't have adequate clothes, then provide clothes for them. There has to be a social expression. So when Jesus starts talking about setting prisoners free, we got to be careful of just trying to make that spiritual for souls. Because even in Jesus' day, there were people who were going to prison for things they never should have went to prison for. And the Hebrew people were oppressed by the Roman people. And they were being put in prison for little or nothing and penal colonies. And then, of course, when the Christians came along following Jesus, man, they were thrown in fires and they were thrown to the lions and put in prison and, and penal colonies and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, no, I came to set prisoners free. See, if you keep trying to make that so spiritual and it's just an analogy, it's just an illustration, then you ignore the fact that in the United States of America, we have a messed up uh, criminal justice system that one out of every three black males can expect to spend some time connected to the penal institution, whether it's prison or jail or house arrest or parole. If you, if you just want to try to make this so spiritual, it's about souls, then you ignore the fact that prisons in the United States of America are, are overcrowded, mass incarceration of people who are black and brown and poor and with mental health issues. If you, if you ignore the fact, if you try to just make it all spiritual, then you ignore the fact what the Justice Initiative said that in the United States of America, you've got a better chance of having justice if you are rich and guilty than if you are poor and innocent. And Michelle Alexander, she talks about the new Jim Crow laws. The new Jim Crow laws, yeah, locking up black people. And then once you lock them up, and now you have all of these states that won't even allow them once they spend their time in prison and get out. And now they can't vote. Now they can't live in certain housing. They can't get certain public funds and can't get certain jobs. It's the new Jim Crow. It, it's a system that is so evil and so satanic until Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and my ministry is not just jumping and leaping, but it's setting prisoners free. And you and I need to line our lives up with that because we still in the United States, we deal with a prison system that when it comes to black people and brown people and issues with drugs, then we go to jail. But with so many white people with issues with drugs, they get a slap on the hand or taken to rehab. And Jesus says, no, I come to set prisoners free. Meaningful ministry, y'all, also includes restoration. It says, I come to bind the brokenhearted to heal the brokenhearted. I come to recover the sight of the blind, the restoration of the sight of the blind. 
And I know, I know that there are plenty of people going to try to make that an illustration, an analogy. They're going to try to make it a metaphor and say, oh, people are, are spiritually heartbroken. But Jesus heals those who are spiritually heartbroken and those who are spiritually blind. Yo, this is social. This is about health care. Jesus said, I come, yo, that binding of broken heart. And I'm not saying that Jesus can't deal with people who are emotionally distressed and who have uh, some head issues and heart issues. He can. He's a heart fixer and a mind regulator. He can do all of that. But this text, when Isaiah wrote it and said he binds the brokenhearted, a broken, that's an open wound. He binds an open wound. When Luke wrote on it and Jesus preached on it, that he heals or he puts pressure on the open. That's physical. That's biological to stop that bleeding, to help somebody recover. Even when they have a pre-existing condition, they get health care. That's what that's about. They they're already blind. But I'm going to, he said, restore sight to the blind. Y'all, we, we got to be careful just trying to make that spiritual because then we ignore all the people in this world that have some I, I issues about seeing the World Health Organization says that globally there are people that have these eye conditions and they're going blind. And some of the cases are just so simple. If they could just get some health care, just get access to the care that that they could be healed, that they would be able to see that here we live in a time. These evil systems that try to shut people out from healing and health care because of pre-existing condition. But Jesus says, no, real ministry is about restoration. And your real meaningful, authentic ministry is about emancipation. It's about freedom. He says that I've come to set free those who are oppressed. We need to model our ministries after the ministry of our master and Messiah. What does that look like? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to set the oppressed free. That's not just talking about souls that are oppressed. That's talking about people who are oppressed by these oppressive evil systems, whether it's a religious system or evil social system or economical system or political system or educational system. Jesus said meaningful ministry is about emancipation, setting people free from this, op this oppression. The Roman people, when Jesus walked on this earth with his earthly ministry, the Roman people oppressed and suppressed the Hebrew people. And Jesus said, I come to address that. My friend, Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes III, he constantly reminds us about the context in which scripture was written. All of us know if you're going to understand scripture properly, you got to deal with it in the context in which it was written. And Freddie Haynes keeps reminding us that most scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. Most scripture was written when the Hebrew people were in oppression, whether it's Egyptian oppression or Persian oppression or Babylonian oppression, Assyrian oppression, or in the first century, Roman oppression. And Jesus says, I come to set the oppressed free. Listen to what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist, when he introduced, he's the forerunner of Jesus. When he introduced Jesus, listen to what John the Baptist said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why do we keep trying to make that personal? Why do we keep trying to make that individual when 
John the Baptist said, Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. And don't misquote me either, because I'm not saying that Jesus won't have a personal relationship with you. He will. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's personal and individual. But when John the Baptist in John chapter 1 said, Behold a Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Y'all, that's not personal. That's social. It's about systems. It's these evil, satanic systems. The world. The Bible says, love not the world, and neither uh, those the things that are in the world and of the world. That's not, that doesn't mean don't love people. That means don't love the systems and the strategies and the standards of the world. That's what the Lamb of God came to do to take away these evil systems. Jesus said, I came to set the oppressed free. And after Jesus explained this passage of scripture from Isaiah 61, and, and then it says in, in Luke 4 that the people who were in that synagogue that day tried to kill Jesus. <laughs> Wait a minute. Jesus goes in. He, and this teaches us how to deal with scripture too. He opened the book. He read the book. He embraced the book. That's how you deal with God's word, uh, that you open the Bible, you read the Bible, you embrace the Bible, you teach the Bible. And when he did that, they tried to kill. Why would they try to kill Jesus who just explained a holy text? That's because they had an issue with his take on the text. That's what we're dealing with right now in our series of messages. What's Jesus' view of the text? Because these people had listened to people twist the text and twist the truth until now they believe that a lie is the truth. So when Jesus comes and, and deals properly with the text, now they think something wrong with Jesus and they want to kill Jesus. That's why when you read Luke 4, Jesus, see, these people thought that this is all for the Hebrew people. It's just for the Jews. It's just for us. Jesus says, no, the love of God is not just for one ethnic group. The love of God is for everybody globally and universally. He loves all of us. And he used scripture to prove it. He says, that's why uh, when Elijah, doing that drought, that economic downturn, that, uh, that drought for three and a half years, and he needed assistance from a widow. It's in Luke 4. Jesus said there were plenty of widows around in Israel, but he didn't go to a widow in Israel. He went to a widow in Sidon, in Zarephath, a black African woman. That's because God is inclusive with his love. God is inclusive with his salvation. But the Hebrew people didn't want to hear that. Jesus wasn't finished either. He said when Elisha got ready to demonstrate the power of God to bring healing to somebody with leprosy. Jesus said there were plenty of people that had leprosy in Israel, but he didn't choose somebody in Israel. God chose Naaman, who was captain of the Syrian army. He chose a non-Hebrew, a non-Jew. And when Jesus started that treatment of the text and that take on the text, they tried to kill Jesus. Here's what Dr. Theron Williams said, that there are those who would rather try to kill you than to rethink their theology. Rethink their theology? Yeah, because even now, I'm showing you what Jesus said about this text. And, and Jesus, maybe he didn't use it as an allegory or an illustration or a metaphor. Maybe he meant actual prisons. Maybe he meant actual pre-existing conditions, open wounds and blinded eyes. Maybe he actually meant those who were oppressed. 
but somebody had you been listening to folk twist the scripture and twist the truth that now you're not able to receive the truth when you hear it. And I'm looking over my shoulder because I know some people would rather kill you than to rethink their theology. And they tried to kill Jesus. And, and we, we're going to see that again, too. <laughs> In John chapter 11 and 12, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you would think everybody would be excited about that. The man was dead for four days. Jesus raised him from the dead. And then they tried to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Why would you try to kill Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead? And then what's up with this trying to kill Lazarus? The reason why they wanted to kill Lazarus is because there was a religious group called the Sadducees, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so here is Lazarus, who was dead for four days. Now he's walking around. They mess, he's messing with their theology. They've been preaching and teaching that there is no resurrection of the dead. Now this man walking around. But rather than rethink their theology, they tried to kill Lazarus and Jesus. But Jesus is showing us Here's what real ministry is. And y'all, meaningful ministry always addresses the needs of the marginalized. Y'all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's the model for what real ministry is about, man, he always identified with the marginalized. Watch, watch what is his ministry. He says, here's what my ministry is going to be about. It's going to be the, God, the good news to the poor. It's going to be setting prisoners free. It's going to be to those with pre-existing conditions like open wounds and blinded eyes. It's going to be to people who are oppressed by evil systems. He identifies with the marginalized. He identifies with the poor. He always has. In the Old Testament, Solomon says, uh, when you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord because the Lord always identifies with the marginalized. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, I was hungry and you opened the care center and had a food pantry to feed me and my family. He said, I was hungry and you started an urban garden uh, in Arlington Woods to make sure that I had some fruit and vegetables so that I could have uh, uh, healthy food in my body and in my life and the nutrients that I need. I was hungry and you opened the Rock Fresh Market so that I could have affordable food options that are healthy and affordable for me and my family. And then Jesus said, that I was in prison. You came to see about me. I was in prison and you challenged that unjust system. I was in prison and you helped me to get reacclimated and, and to get my charges expunged and you helped me to find a job when I came out and you helped me to, to pay these fines so I can vote again. I was in prison and you took care of me. He says that I was sick and even though I had pre-existing conditions, you found me health care. And then watch what his disciples said. When did we see you homeless? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you outdoors? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you sick? Jesus says, when you've done it for the marginalized, when you've done it for the least, the lonely, the left out and the outcast, you've done it for me because meaningful ministry addresses the marginalized. That's my word to somebody, even though there are people that reject you and people that don't want to have anything to do with you. But Christ loves you and he identifies with you and salvation is available because all that stuff I just preached and Jesus preached and taught and Isaiah said and, and Luke put it in his gospel, 
Jesus said it's available today. You can be set free today. You can hear the gospel today. You can be emancipated today. That all of this is for right now. He said today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Stop putting God off and Jesus off and the spirit off and the church off and get this right today. I know my time is gone, but I, I got to say something about this because they tried to kill Jesus. And I want to say something about the suffering and dying of Jesus because so many people, oh man, they, they have twisted the holy text. They have twisted the truth about the suffering and the dying of Jesus. They try to act like that Jesus was just so passive and he didn't resist what they did. And he just allowed, no, 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 no. Don't, you're looking at it wrong. You twisting the truth. That's not what the suffering and the dying of Jesus was all about. His suffering and dying is, is about a redemptive suffering. It wasn't that he was so passive and allowed them to do anything to him. No, that's the, y'all, time and time again, they tried to kill Jesus, not because he was passive, but because he resisted these evil systems. They didn't just kill Jesus because he claimed to be the son of God. They wanted to kill Jesus because he kept messing with these religious systems and he was messing with their economic systems and political system. Remember, the Hebrew people thought that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman government. And that's why they're talking about the Caesar is the only one that's our king. They thought so. It was a it was a political piece. And Jesus challenged their evil social systems and he resisted all of that. That's why time and time again, they tried to kill him. From Matthew chapter 2, when he was a baby and the angels came in and had him taken over into black Africa by his stepdad because there was an evil head of state that sent the military police to try to take him out. Or the text we're looking at today in Luke 4, they tried to kill him because of the truth he brought on a text that they had manipulated and maltreated. And then they tried to kill him because it was messing with their messed up religious system. Or in John chapter 5, when he he said before Abraham uh, was, I am, that he's this equality he made with God, addressing and challenging their evil religious system. Or in, in John chapter 10, when he said, I am the door and I am the shepherd and, and the father and I are one. And they tried to stone Jesus. Jesus said, y'all going to kill me? You see all these good works? We ain't killing you for that. We ain't killing you over your good work. I know you're killing me because I'm challenging these economic, political, social, religious systems that are so evil. He resisted all of that. And they sought to kill him, but he didn't allow that to happen until he got to the cross. And even then, it wasn't no passive thing, just allowing it. No, Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay my life down. And if I lay my life down, I'll pick it up again. It was a redemptive suffering. That So don't, don't mess up the crucifixion and the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. Who was? Oh, James Cone. James Cone was 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 writing about Martin Luther King Jr. He said that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, talks about this redemptive character to suffering, redemptive character of suffering. That that whenever Martin King says, whenever you resist evil systems, then the inevitable consequence is suffering. But so many of us, we try to avoid suffering. But if you seek to avoid suffering, then you avoid the resistance of evil systems. And then these evil systems go unchallenged. The reason why Martin King had to suffer and die is because of the redemptive character that came. He resisted these evil systems. And James Cone says, whenever 
You resist these evil systems, even though you got to suffer. He says that you participate in the redemptive work of God in the world. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying so that the gospel would be preached, so that prisoners would be set free, so that uh, there would be restoration for those who are sick and those who are blind so that those who oppress can have the liberty and the freedom that Jesus has established for us all because he died. So don't mess all that up. Let me close it like this. I don't held y'all too long. Let me close it like this. Oh, Hurricane Sally, which just happened a few weeks ago. Hurricane Sally uh, went through the, the Gulf Coast. First it hit over in, in the Bahamas and then hurricane came over to Alabama and Florida, that's, that's that hurricane that came in with 105 mile per hour winds and three feet worth of rain came in and the flooding that came. And one sheriff in Pensacola, he said that one of the counties in Pensacola, within one hour, they rescued 377 people. They got stranded in the flood, three feet of water, then the flooding, he said they got stranded. And in one hour, they rescued 377 people. He said, some of which uh, that they rescued was a family of four that was in a tree. A family of four in the hurricane, in the flooding, had to be rescued from a tree. That's because the waters kept rising and they got out of their house and got on the roof. But even on the roof, the waters kept rising. So they had to climb up into a tree. And it was in the tree that they sat there and waited to be rescued. And the only reason they got saved is because of that tree. The Apostle Peter said, Jesus died on a tree. And because Jesus died on that tree, now salvation is here. Emancipation, liberation, freedom, healing, deliverance is all available. And Jesus says, you can have it now. God said, the day you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. You need to be saved. You need to be a Christian. Yeah, he came to deal with evil structures, but he also came so that you can have a personal relationship with God that can only happen through the sacrifice of Jesus.